G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. On Mondays, we like to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby. Dan Flynn is joining us once again today. He's Deputy Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Dan, a special welcome back to 2020. It's a pleasure to be here, Neil. Dan, let's start with what is one of those very, very serious things that's happening right now. And uh, you could call it a new attack on Christian schools. It's the state of Victoria we're talking about. Last week, the Andrews government announced that new legislation will soon be introduced to allow courts and tribunals to determine who Christian schools can employ. You've been following it. Uh, What's the latest? I've been very involved in this, Neil. This is something that's gone on Victoria for about 14 years. Uh, so this is an ALP government uh, policy that's been on their wish list since about 2008. Uh, and, and what that is, Neil, is uh, to basically say that uh, Christian schools can only employ Christian staff uh, exclusively in roles where it's an inherent requirement of the role. Or in other words, where... You know, religious belief is critical to the job. You know, clearly the headmaster, the chaplain, uh, question mark, and maths teacher, certainly not the gardener, certainly not, um, you know, probably some specialist teaching roles. So this is a, a chip at Christian schooling, and it's been on since 2008. In fact, it was made law in 2008, and it was to be implemented in around 2011. Uh, there was uh, an election there. Uh, Ted Bailey, then the opposition leader, made a promise to ACL at the time that if elected, they would repeal that law, which they did. <clears throat> so the law was never actually implemented. The Andrews government was elected in 2014 with a promise to bring back this law, and they made a very fulsome attempt to do it. And in early December 2016, there was a very dramatic debate, and they lost by one vote in the upper house. Uh, now they've gone to the 2018 election without reference to this, uh, but now it's back on the agenda. They they feel their numbers are better. So it's a major concern for Christian schooling. Parents pay for Christian education. Usually these are people for whom it's a great financial sacrifice. They want all of the staff at the school to be ambassadors for the mission of the school. And as we know, Neil, you know, it, takes a village to raise the children, you know, the gardener, the admin staff, uh, those who are, you know, helping people getting on buses. Uh, they're all part of the community, uh, all have uh, formal or informal relationships with the children uh, affirming the faith. And so this is a very important battle and uh, one which we'll be very involved in, as will Christian schools, uh, because uh, if, if this gets a foothold here, there would trouble elsewhere in the country. Well, Dan, I wonder whether uh, some reflection here on what ordinary Aussies think about this uh, proposal in Victoria. Uh, New polling on religious discrimination. Uh, There's some significant and telling results there that's coming from ordinary Australians. Well, that's right, Neil. There was a poll that went out on the 9th of December 
and it was uh, you know, one of these weighted polls and um, uh, from Compass Polling. What that showed us was the question was put on this issue we're talking about, should religious schools be forced to employ staff that are in conflict with a school statement, statement of faith? 60% said no, schools should not be forced to employ those staff, and 40% yes. So this is a, a poll of everyday Australians, not religious people. So most people think that Christian schools should be able to do exactly what they're doing now in the same way that a political party does. Neil, there's you know, no suggestion that an ALP um, government minister needs to employ a, you know, a member of, of um, you know, the Liberal Party uh, or someone with, with conservative views. Uh, it's, a, it's a live and let live, live and let live world, or so it should be. And we're quite disappointed to see uh, this uh, clamp down uh, by the ALP. Uh, it's very much part of the LGBT agenda. Um, follows on from conversion therapy legislation in Victoria, and uh, we hope we can win this battle. I might say your upcoming guest, Reverend Mark Jury, did a telling video uh, when this campaign was being was run successfully in December 2016 where he made it clear that this actually applies to churches as well so if the church were to employ somebody perhaps in data admin um, some role in the office who wasn't a Christian uh, if it, when this law comes in um, a tribunal may say oh no you have to prefer a non-Christian in your church office because they may be better at doing data entry and their faith is not critical to the role. They're not the priest. So this is on for Christian churches and schools in Victoria. Well, telling when you uh, describe it like that because it's the door ajar in Christian schools uh, for what government control could be coming to Christian churches. And so... uh, uh, these things are very significant. I note that Mark Spencer, who's the Director of Public Policy at uh, Christian Schools Australia, he's saying this has the potential to fundamentally change the nature of Christian schools. And and just to take that to its nth degree and get your thoughts here, Dan, the idea that Christian schools might not be Christian anymore if you haven't got Christians teaching the, uh, the, uh, the, the subjects. Uh, that's something that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Well, it is, and uh, you know, Christian schooling is uh, such an important place to uh, nurture faith. Uh, it's uh, very, very important, and no doubt the parents, most, and we know a bit about the parents, generally parents of people at Christian schools are uh, aspirational people. We often typically uh, tradies working incredibly hard to pay these fees. Uh, they want a faith education, and they will mount a huge campaign here and let's hope the government listens in Victoria. Um, you know, it might sound like a first, but uh, all things are possible. And just to draw attention, uh, there's an opportunity this week for listeners today to our conversation to do something practical, to be involved in a campaign. You've got some email campaigns coming up this week. Uh, for listeners to go to the ACL website, uh, they'll be able to participate in those. Uh, easy to access and uh, and gives you a voice where you're listening, wherever you are around Australia, but especially, I guess, for Victorian listeners today, uh, those campaigns coming this week, Dan. Well, that's right, Neil. If people um, log on to the ACL, they'll find a campaign relevant to these issues. Uh, obviously, we're doing some more research at the moment to make sure the the wording, you know, is uh, targeted. and But please sign up, um, go to ACL, volunteer. Uh, we have plenty of activity for people to do. 
uh, plenty of phone calls uh, to be made to our supporters, to members of parliament on critical issues around the country. So you'd be most welcome. Uh, we look forward to, um, to you joining us. Okay, another big issue, and this one passed last week in the state of Queensland, the Euthanasia Bill, the Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill 2021, and Queensland now the fifth state in Australia to pass these laws last Thursday, and uh, no, uh, no, uh, you know, close call here, uh, 61 MPs voted in support, 30 voted against. Neil, we thought perhaps the numbers might be 50 voting in support, and um, there were a lot of undecided. Um, what is typical for, for uh, certain members of parliament is when they see the momentum going a certain way, they'll rush to that side. So uh, 61 in support is incredibly high um, and, and quite disappointing, uh, particularly when there, were, there was no allowance for a number of very useful amendments, particularly to protect Catholic hospitals. And I think a quarter of the hospitals in Queensland are Catholic. Uh, there is a pathway in a Catholic hospital now for somebody who's not the patient's treating doctor, uh, but somebody who uh, is a euthanasia um, uh, practitioner uh, to actually enter a hospital and administer a drug to, um, you know, to kill a patient. Let's be clear about it um, without the the um, hospital's approval. So this is the government overriding uh, the. Uh, faith-based hospitals, uh, ethos, policies, governance. It's terribly concerning. It's a very statist uh, type of legislation that would permit that. And, um, you know, a lot was done to to push back, but uh, sadly, uh, in this case, unsuccessful. Uh, So we we hope for better times ahead. Uh, We haven't got to this place overnight, and we won't get back overnight either. Um, It's an incremental work. Uh, that is going to take us many years to achieve. So just to be clear for listeners, Dan, even in the Christian hospitals where you might hope that patients will be protected, somebody from the outside will be able to come into the hospital and administer a fatal dose or injection that will kill mm. a patient. That's that's what the law is going to be in Queensland. That is absolutely true, Neil, um, and there's nothing that the... Uh, the directors or the um, you know the head people at these hospitals can do about it uh, should they find that that that's a circumstance uh, that, a, that a patient uh, you know is, is, has requested it uh, it's against the ethics of the uh, institution um, that impasse will be broken by somebody um, some medical practitioner sponsored by the state entering the hospital okay. Just when you thought we might get into some lighter topics, let's take this another level deeper again because what's happening in New South Wales is a very disturbing development too where the New South Wales government's declared that only double vaccinated people will be able to attend church when reopening starts. What are your thoughts about what's happening in New South Wales, Dan? Well, Neil, you give me all the easy topics and you know this is definitely definitely one of those. Um, it's an interesting proposition. You know, we are hearing effectively what I would call scaremongering by the government to say that uh, people will have to have vaccine passports. Uh, they are deliberately unclear about, well, is that 70%? Is that 80%? Is that beyond 80%? Not telling us. They're putting out this um, um, 
a narrative that people will, will be required to be vaccinated to go to church. Can I say, Neil, this only, the only example of this is in Israel, the only country in the world that actually has this. But you can still get into your synagogue or, or um, faith gathering if you can submit a negative test uh, or if you have had coronavirus. So this would be definitely the tightest. I think some things to consider here, Neil, are that the um, current details, I think, on 70%, 80% vaccination rates for um, New South Wales are that uh, 70% is likely to be reached in early October and 80% in mid-October. So this, this could potentially be a two-week problem and bearing in mind that I don't even think that the churches are open until um, um, mid-October anyway. So it's, it's, a, it's a tactic by the government to drive up vaccination rates and to um, include the churches in that process. But clearly, um, beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, you know, we are opposed to uh, such a, a vaccine passport should it be implemented because churches are meant to be open for all and we are on the same page with all the major denominational leaders there in New South Wales um, who um, are not um, you know, advocating civil disobedience, but saying, look, um, uh, you know, churches cannot be that impacted by the government uh, in assembling and they must minister to the needy. Um, and if they're unvaccinated, then they, they must be able to be ministered to. So it's a complex problem. It may have a very small window and... Um, um, it's interesting to see how it develops, and we're obviously looking at how we participate in this issue in a meaningful way. Dan, I note that you say that the churches are not advocating civil disobedience, but I'm aware of some who are saying we can't in any Christian conscience turn people away at the door if they are not vaccinated, and in some sense there... Uh, no doubt that actually does qualify as civil disobedience and it may actually be breaking uh, the health orders, if not a law. Uh, there are different uh, denominations who are handling this differently. I note that Catholic churches have said they're actually remaining shut until all who are welcome are able to attend. Uh, and then uh, other churches that are working uh, with infectious disease experts to uh, to minimise any risk management. So churches are taking mm. some in-depth approaches here to work out how they can work with those health orders uh, without being mm. civilly disobedient. But some are going to some mm. are going to be di- civil disobedient and uh, and they won't turn people away. Yes, There's a, you know the accelerated rate of the vaccine take up is likely to um, overtake. Uh, some of these issues, um, and we've we've seen that acceleration probably in the last three weeks. Um, no doubt that uh, once the vaccination rate is beyond eighty uh, percent, that it's unlikely that there'd be any vaccine passports required. And and if there is, uh, then I think we're into a uh, a very a very different conversation and one that would um, you, you know the, the church's right to admit all people uh, will be the primary consideration. Dan, what about the idea of essential services? I know that people in the Christian community might be uh, drawn in two directions here by saying we're not essential, but some saying, of course, we are essential. What are your thoughts around the church being an essential service? Well, look, that's 
absolutely true, Neil, and I think that is the correct analogy, that somebody who is unvaccinated can go to the, to the chemist, they can go and get their groceries, um, or they can go and get counsel and go and see a doctor. Uh, all, you know, they're all essential services. And so I think the logic is uh, acceptable that going to church is an essential service uh, for people's spiritual and pastoral needs to be attended to. So I think there's a lot of logic in that argument. Okay, Uh, lots more developments coming so far as the idea of those vaccine passports and New South Wales likely to be the test case there and how churches will respond. Hey, let me just quickly come to the truth of it live on Saturday night or Saturday lunchtime, I think it was, or afternoon in Adelaide. You had, uh, you know, another big event in Adelaide. Can you give us some insight into what happened? I certainly can, Uh, Neil. It was... uh probably the final part of the tour. I think some 20,000 people have been spoken to live across the country uh, over the last probably six months or so. Um, You know, Queensland, Tasmania, Western Australia uh, and Adelaide on Saturday night. It was an absolutely brilliant event. Uh, Certainly 1,500 people, at least in that venue, which would be the premier uh, venue in Adelaide, and Martin Niles uh, speaking uh, from Revelation 1 about the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, in a very hope-filled message uh, with a lot of practical advice uh, for people as well in the Q&A. So it was a a sensational grand finale to the tour and um, uh, it's been an exceptional, uh, uh, I suppose, event to be able to do during COVID to speak to that many people live. So it's been a huge blessing And I think in terms of um, mainstream understanding of the Australian Christian lobby uh, through things like the cancellation of the venue in WA and various media attention um, and the attendance by many MPs at these events, I think has um, helped people get a broader understanding of of the work of the Australian Christian lobby. And I think it's also helped us as an organisation become closer to the concerns Uh, of everyday Australians. Well, Dan Flynn, they certainly have been what most people would certainly say is a great success. Those uh, Truth of It Live tour dates uh, sell out uh, in various capital cities and in such a time as a time when there are COVID lockdowns, it's been an amazing success. Uh, Dan, no doubt listeners will want to follow along and find out what sort of action they can take with some campaigns that you have running. Let me point listeners to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au. These are significant, changing times and uh, the coercion that's being brought against the church over those big issues we've been talking about today, uh, very, very significant. acl.org.au. So you can, as your listener, uh, listening right around Australia, you can take some action today. acl.org.au. Dan Flynn is Deputy Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Dan, thanks so much for the update today on 2020. Thanks for your time, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.